He's just a guy. <laughs> and hint, Harvey Ebony, as usual, is completely wrong. Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy Maluta. You might remember me from such Twitter names as PR Guy 17. Do you like being known as just, just a guy? A guy. <laughs> he doesn't work for Daniel Andrews. He's just a guy. Do you want to start? Do yeah. Start? Yeah, okay. let's get into it. No worries. Oh, I thought we had started. No, no, we haven't. <laughs> Fuck. This is the podcast. For those newbies. With Dr. Dan and Lou from the radio. You really struck gold. How good are you? It is episode number two of Movers and Shakers where we look at people causing waves in uh, whether it be good or bad and Dr Dan we've got a very big mover and shaker joining us on the show yeah absolutely I would like to formally and proudly introduce Jeremy otherwise known as PR guy 17 on Twitter Jeremy, welcome welcome to the podcast thank you guys it's really good to be here uh, been a big fan of the podcast since it got going as you know so it's exciting yeah. to finally be on unfortunately we're not a uh, an, an audio visual medium like friendly Geordies but just to paint a picture you're back in the tunnel um, but some text is disappeared from your screen, so we've got a clear view of your face. So that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> and for the record, um, yeah. we've uh, identified and independently identified that Jeremy is who he says he is. We have seen official Australian government-issued documents which match. And is that 100 points? 100 points of... Well, 70 points. 70. That'll do. We're, we're more of a 50... Kind of. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely broke. We're, we're, no, we're no Vic Rhodes. And we're not um, like that bloke in Cairns. I don't know if you saw the cafe owner who um, went on ABC and said that Kim Kardashian and who's Kim's partner? Well, it used to be Kanye West. Now it's Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson, yeah. Said, I shouldn't know those things. <laughs> said Pete oh. Davidson and Kim Kardashian were at his cafe and everybody went like crazy over it and the media swarmed and then it was found out later it was just a, a practical joke. <laughs> and they weren't actually there. Oh, my God. But Jeremy is actually here. <laughs> Jeremy so is That's here. the point I'm getting at. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and as you can confirm from my passport, uh, my photo in the passport has the watermark over my face too. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> Dude, it just follows you everywhere. We don't have the uh, legal fund that... Uh, Geordie Shanks, as uh, Sky News call him, has. Sure. Um, so we, we can't uh, say the things, uh, some of the things, as confidently as he does. So we'll just... Uh, we'll keep it above board. Yeah, we'll, we'll steer clear. Wait, wait. Yeah. But Jeremy, thank you for coming on to be interviewed. I really wanted to do this after listening and watching um, you strongly and proudly come out and identify who you were and de-anonymize the PR Guy 17 account on the Friendly Geordies YouTube page. And I, I, I really wanted to ask a few more extra questions that both myself and probably the greater community had uh, to follow up from that interview. And I guess the first one that I wanted to do is when did you start the PR Guy 17 account and why did you start it? Yeah, good question. So uh, it was March 2020. I think uh, we were just sort of going into the COVID experience. Um, you know, uh, we were sort of it was sort of dawning on everybody that we were going to be spending a fair bit of time at home. Um, and I think, you know, looking back as well, I remember, uh, you know, there was already sort of um, a little bit of media hysteria, a little bit of, uh, you know, pressure and pushback on some of the things that were happening due to COVID restrictions and health restrictions and things like that. 
Um, so I didn't, I didn't join Twitter to be a commentator as such. Um, obviously you can't predict, you know, who's going to get a viral tweet and suddenly get a lot of followers. Uh, it was more just to, um, have an outlet to have a place to observe, uh, news and commentary. Um, and also, you know, uh, do a lot of replying, I think to, um, stories and things like that as well. Um, you know, many, many years ago when I had a Facebook, um, you know, I, I was an active commenter in, you know, news stories, things like that. Um, and I guess Twitter gave me a space to do that without um, putting my name to it and embarrassing myself. So, so the anonymity, well, the anonymity well. of the account was an important aspect for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I guess um, we don't, I don't know how I'd describe the importance of anonymity other than to say that I think for a lot of Australians, anonymity is important to be able to speak mm -hmm. freely, um, not necessarily to avoid accountability or consequences. I guess just to separate that uh, somewhat from personal life, um, you know, to avoid things like vilification for your views and things like that. Um, so, uh, certainly as the account picked up a, a following, um, anonymity became much more important to me, um, because, you know, over the years since I've had it, um, there has been a lot of pushback. There's been a lot of, um, comments my way. Um, some of it nice, some of it not very nice, uh, and some of it outright violent. It's, it's funny you mentioned the, um, the, the Twitter accounts that don't have names, um, and the, the rampant um, desire for for some in in Australia to to unmask you as they, as they call it, when such platforms such as Sky News, uh, Peter Credlin admitted herself that she has a Twitter account that's not in her name. So it's a little bit of hypocrisy, it's hypocritical, full yeah, stop. <laughs> to say that. Um, you know, people should have their name to all everything that they say, but then one of the the leading figureheads of Sky News comes out and says that she's she's got a Twitter account that's essentially a burner account. Yeah, it, it is a really interesting point. And look, while I'd love to see what Miss um, Credlin says under not her real name, um, I do respect her privacy, and uh, you know she's entitled to that um, for for reasons that she would know too well. Um, it would make more sense for her to engage um, under a pseudonymous account. Um, and, you know, that just goes to show that whether you're on the left or the right or in the middle, um, there are benefits for everyone to, to remain anonymous. A question that we well, we asked the, the Geelong Mayor when we had him on a couple of weeks ago and a, a question that, if you know, feel free to deflect or answer however you like. Are you a, a paid member of, of the Labor Party, any branch, Victoria or Australia? No, and I've never been a member of any political party, uh, not because I'm not politically engaged, obviously, uh, just because... Um, um, I, I, I don't think I've ever really come across the need to be engaged on that particular level. Um, I've never been loyal to one particular party, despite, you know, the rumours and the commentary. Um, and I, I guess I feel like I would be pigeonholing myself to some extent were I to become a member. Mm. Um, certainly, uh, you know, I respect the Labor Party um, and, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with being a member at all. Um but, yeah, just in, in my own experiences, I've never been uh, any kind of political party member. I think it's really important, looking back through your tweets, as I was one of your really early followers, I think I started following your account around when it was at the 12K mark of followers. Ooh, that is early. And um, you're also a strong supporter of former uh, Premier, uh, Liberal Tasmania Premier Peter Gutwin. 
and uh, you made lots of favourable tweets in the similar vein that you did to uh, Daniel Andrews and of Peter Malinalkis recently, uh, which completely goes unnoticed in the commentary around your hyperpartisanship, uh, as which some commentators would voice to yourself. Yeah, that's right. I've got a big soft spot for Papa Daddy. Um, <laughs> and look, you know, people see what they want to see. It serves a particular narrative. Uh, it's easier to call me a pro-Labor account or a pro-Dan Andrews account than it is to actually look at that nuance um, and, and you know, actually dissect that and say, well, hang on, maybe there's a bit more going on here than just staunch Labor shilling. Um, you know, respect of people like Peter Gutwein, um, you know, even even this is a bit hard to admit, but even when Gladys did the occasional good thing, um, I, I was happy to praise her and give her a round of applause. Um, what I really value is strong leadership, leaders with conviction, leaders who stand for for the people they're leading, um, and that's what I praise. Solid as a yeah, as a, a journalist and a. a person who puts out news stories regularly daily it, for me it's important to be hyper unbiased and and put out those stories so i cover stories across the board and it's extremely interesting that when i put out pro labor stories a group of people will criticize and say you're just a labor hack you just um stop stop favoring labor but then when i put out stories about the opposition um whether it be about the victorian health system at the moment which is in crisis or uh, vic roads uh, being s- semi-privatized a different group of people will then say, oh, you're such an opposition hack, you're such a, a, a liberal stooge. It's People tend to miss half of, of what you're saying if, you're, if you are truly unbiased. Certainly. And, you know, unless people have been following closely, they'll just see something, you know, totally out of context of your career or your history um, and they'll only engage on that basis. So it's very easy to look at one piece of work you've done and, and say that that sums you up, whereas that's obviously not the case at all. And I think that that doesn't just extend to yourself and myself. A lot of journalists suffer from being tarred by that brush. Um, and really what you've got to look at, I think, is the pattern over time. Um, you know, if you if you scrutinise a certain journalist's work, and I won't name anyone because I, I appreciate your legal fund standings. dollars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you look back over time and you really kind of, um, I guess, work out where someone stands uh, in relation to political parties, things like that, the best kind of journalists are the ones that you can't really tell who they would vote for, um, you know, who don't wear partisanship on their sleeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of good journalists like that in Australian space, but we also have a lot of journalists who, you know, make it absolutely clear where they stand. And a, a clear definition between opinion and Journal- general journalistic stories. And yeah, very important. Something that I um, have had to be educated myself upon uh, throughout the pandemic. I really never focused too much on it until 2020, the advent of basically the coronavirus lockdowns, as uh, Jeremy so put. Um, a few cheeky questions. Um, Jeremy, are you a fan of the uh, episode, the the US television cartoon show, The Simpsons? Uh, yes, actually, I am. Okay. Um, <laughs> Don't know what gave that away. Why did you select the name PR Guy 17? And then why did you select Troy McClure as your avatar? I just, I know it's like the most basic and 
question, but I just I, I want to know what thought process went through that because it's been such a big part of a lot of people's lives over the last two and a half years. Yeah, that's a really good question, um, and it has a really disappointing answer, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, so good. I think I put about ten seconds worth of thought into creating the account. It was kind of like a off the cuff thing that I did on my phone in in the space of a couple of minutes. Wow. Um, and you know, I, I think I punched in PR guy. I can't even remember why I thought of PR guy. It just sort of was what came into my mind. Uh, and then I think I Googled um, Simpsons characters you know, <laughs> yeah. for a profile picture yeah. and that was it. <laughs> Do you have any PR experience? Do you have any, um, yeah, like a, a, I, I'm not sure what else could be expanded on PR, but public relations working, working for social media for companies? No, none whatsoever. So I've never done PR. Uh, you know, I, I think... Um, the account obviously makes it sort of seem like I have, um, but and if you if you count the Twitter stuff that I've done, then maybe you could classify that as some sort <laughs> That's of PR. work experience. But, <laughs> yeah, Volunteered work but, experience, but certainly no uh, official capacity or anything like that. Um, you know, I I don't um, have any kind of political background or uh, experience or anything like that. Would you want to get into PR? Ooh, um, <laughs> That's the, the questions at the <laughs> end. So what's next, Jeremy? Okay. What Oh no! Well, that's yeah. We've, we've still still got that. But the re- the reason I'm asking, I'll, I'll preface place, it. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, she used to have in her Tinder bio that she was a dolphin trainer, despite living <laughs> 600 kilometres inland um, and nowhere near an ocean. You know, in the Simpsons episodes, there is an episode where the dolphins do rise from the ocean and do take over the lands, uh, as Je- Jeremy Ward to that. Do you remember that? I think it was a Halloween episode. I don't remember that. I'm keen to hear more about this Tinder well, um, dolphin yeah, trainer. It was, um, there was a photo, I think she went, she must have gone to SeaWorld and got one photo with uh, the dolphin, like kissing a dolphin or, or whatever, and that became her... Um, her her thing her shtick was uh, dolphin trainer, so then her Twitter burner account. I'm not going to reveal exactly what the handle was, but it basically had dolphin trainer in it. So I'm wondering if there's a path from there's not a path from PR to PR guy, but is there a path from PR, PR guy, guy to, to PR? PR? Well, look, I think that one of the really cool things about being anonymous or pseudonymous on Twitter is it really kind of allows you to take on whatever persona that you want um you know uh i think people who know me in real life know that i'm not pr guy uh in that same sense so i don't speak in hysterical headlines uh you know i'm quite calm and measured uh so i think you know just going back to that dolphin trainer story if that's what you want to be online you can and there's nothing stopping you from being that and it's awesome what is the the tip for for november we've got a victorian state election coming up what's your your content that's content yeah we got to tap into it look um you know i think um there's a pretty strong likelihood that we'll see a really good outcome on november 26 i don't want to get ahead of myself because you never like to make a call um and then look like you know it's in the bag there's a lot of work to be done on both sides uh you know no one just marches through the gate on this uh you know dan andrews has done an amazing job during covid and, you know, there's there's criticism from across the board that there are things that he could have done better, but you'll see those criticisms equal, equally applied to other governments around Australia as well. But I think by and large, most state governments in Australia have got this right. 
Uh, and I think, you know, there's a there's a strong likelihood that uh, the Andrews government will be rewarded for its performance. Great answer. What was your first viral tweet and how many likes or interactions did it get, Jeremy? Like, when did you realise, oh, I might be onto something, onto something here? So there was, a, um, there was a, a series of polls being run by The Age back in 2020, pretty early days. I think it was around April, May, something like that. So just as um, we and- were just going down into, like, the first ever lockdown when Morrison came up and made his bar race shtick. <laughs> it's not a race. Yeah, exactly. Well, probably and even so, before that, know, because that was that was a little it's later. Not a race is vaccine. That's twenty twenty one. Wrong wrong year. Wrong episodes. <laughs> Get with the times. Yeah, <laughs> it was a very tense time, and you know we'd been in lockdown, um, and I guess there was this um, this polit- politicisation of Andrew's performance, you know, uh, and the lockdowns and health restrictions. And whilst that was happening in Victoria, we weren't really seeing it happen anywhere else. And what I noticed on the Age website, um, I was looking at those polls mm. uh, and they would occasionally in- increment in blocks of 10,000 uh, votes against Andrew's performance. So, uh, you know, they, they would go, you know, five votes across the space of a minute and suddenly 10,000 clean votes uh, against Andrew's. So I started recording it uh, just through my browser and, you know, picked up that there was definitely something uh, amiss there. Um, and I did a tweet about it and I tagged a bunch of people in it thinking, you know, someone please pick up on this because it looks pretty dodgy to me. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the next morning when I woke up, um, you know, it had taken off. Um, and I think Media Watch at the time did a piece on it as well. Um, and it, it kind of exposed that somebody behind the scenes was likely buying votes to influence the outcomes of these polls. And I think that's, you know, that that indicates that there's a pretty uh, nefarious kind of political intent behind something like that mm. uh, because, you know, polls convey, uh, you know, the, the mood, the feeling, um, and, you know, skewing them a certain way uh, can make it look like things are worse than they are. And, uh, you know, blew up, went on Media Watch, uh, and, and then the, the followers just started, uh, you know, mounting very, very quickly after that. Um, and suddenly I had a platform. How many followers did you have at that time when you made that sort of um, tweet? Ooh, it would have been a few hundred. Yeah, wow. That's amazing for someone at just a few hundred to then end up where you are now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting talking about polls with, um, I'm not sure how much across the, the Geelong politics you are, Jeremy, but in Geelong there was some media outlets here saying that the race between the Liberal candidate and Libby Coker was 49-51 or almost 50-50, yet my gut and the stuff that we'd found is it was much more out 45-55, like there was... A, much bigger gap than what the the media was putting it down the other media was putting it down to so it's interesting how much these polls can affect and especially with online click and you voted kind of polls there's no there's no receipts it's kind of standard practice now that online polls have a very low quality when it comes to their management Mm. and I think that's what Jeremy's getting at Mm. here is that either externally or internally this poll was clearly very biased and very wrong in its measurement of the national sentiment and the problem is I think what Jeremy you're touching on is there that the result of the poll regard whatever it is will then drive further sentiment which will then drive certain future polls and then people will be tricked in believing what the majority opinion is when it's actually not what 
is reflected in the poll because the poll has been manipulated. Is that where you're going with that sentiment, Jeremy? Yeah, definitely. It feeds back into that feedback loop. And I, I think it, you know, it, it does suggest to people, oh, okay, well, the norm here is to feel angry at Dan, um, yeah. you know, and there's that kind of social pressure that I think that people can fall into. Uh, well, you know, whether it works or not, I think that's certainly the intent um, and, you know, it's not just the online polls that are, that are um, you know, kind of dodgy or at least their coverage is dodgy. If you look back on the 2022 federal election campaign, mm. uh, you know, most of the polls were in Labor's favour, but whenever one came out that sort of looked like it was a bit of a knife's edge or something like that or, you know, Albo was behind as preferred PM, you saw the right-wing media really kind of take off and seize on that. Uh, it yeah. would dominate coverage. Uh, it would, you know, it would present as Labor in chaos or, yeah. you know, Labor Party faithful dismayed with um, Albo or things like that. Uh, and it just wasn't the case at all. But if you saw, you know, polls going heavily the other way in Labor's favour, you just didn't really see much media coverage crickets, at all. Yeah. No, I totally appreciate what you're saying. I think some of the really interesting commentary just leading up to the days prior to the election, uh, multiple high-profile media um, individuals uh, took their hot takes to uh, podcasts and Twitter and said, oh, look, Tim, um, not Tim Smith, um, Josh Frydenberg's safe, he'll be fine, blah, 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 everything along the lines of that. Um, Labor's not going to be there. Uh, they're not going to win certain seats. They're not going to get there. They'll be safe in certain places and lo and behold um, their hot takes were completely wrong mm. and there's no apology no retraction no no um, basis for them to provide that opinion based on <laughs> nada uh, when all the polls had it at a knife edge in Kuyong for example yeah and I, I think you know um, a lot of that reporting was quite hopeful uh, <laughs> and I think it also came across as a bit of a tug of war as well uh, between uh, traditional media and social media. If you look at uh, Mon Fukuyong campaign, um, that was just done so brilliantly. Mm. Uh, you know, that started with grassroots movements on Facebook. They moved through to Twitter. They built a huge following. Um, they coupled that with, you know, extraordinary door knocking campaigns. Uh, and they really just sort of um, exploded onto the scene in Kuyong. Uh, and, you know, it was, I think it was about probably about eight to 10 months before that people were saying that it was impossible for Josh Frydenberg to lose his yeah, seat. Impossible. Uh, there was no yeah. way known. Uh, yeah. And look at what they did. Exactly. Just incredible. Yeah, and I think the the the, the key thing that stood out in um, the Kuyong battle was the photo of the shoes that had been worn out from one of the volunteers from door knocking and from I think they actually covered every single voter at least once in, in the seat. Yeah, boots on the ground, mm. literally. Yeah. Yeah, and coupled with online, uh, you know, I think those sort of. The coupling the boots on the ground with the online campaign, those both sort of feedback and enable each other, um, and it was just extraordinary. You know, you look at the photos of Ku Hong during that time, yeah, well, everything plastered with Josh Frydenberg's mm -hmm. face throughout the business areas, uh, but then you've got the homes uh, with, you know, the Mon for Ku Hong yeah. signs, and you could just see sort of where one sat versus the other. True uh, democracy was really kind of at work. True but, democracy at work. Jeremy, next question I want to ask you is, I remember one evening you were rage tweeting a whole <laughs> 7.30. Just one evening? Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, I remember watching, because I was watching the 7.30 report, you had a big disdain for whenever 
the 7.30 report would do, actually it's called 7.30, um, would do a sad cafe story around the Melbourne lockdowns. Um, and I remember you rage tweeting a whole episode, basically going scene by scene describing how hard it is for you to get out really impactful tweets in such a short period of time. Um <clears throat> In, in that aspect, and, and then I guess the follow-up question after that is, what is your most favourite tweet that you've ever sent? So with regards to 7.30... Do you, do you know, uh, do you know that period that. that I was talking about? Do you know that one? I think so, yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, we saw some brilliant work by 7.30, uh, montaging empty streets with slow, classical, yes, uh, yes, depressing music and, uh, and things like that during lockdown. And, and certainly uh, we got to know a lot of cafe owners through 7.30 report <laughs> as well. But what we didn't get to know were people on the ground in hospitals, in doctor's surgeries. Um, mm. there, there was a lot of um, missing, I think, of, of the people who were on the front line fighting this. And whilst we were hearing the case from the business lobby about why we should be open, we weren't hearing the case from medical professions about why we needed to follow health restrictions. And that was my biggest frustration with 7.30. Um, and, and the way that the production came through to me was that they really kind of tried to make it as manipulative and as evocative as possible with those montages, uh, you know, with those, um, I guess, very angsty presentations of what was happening only from one side. So, uh, you know, I certainly did um, express some frustration with 7.30 over time there. And I think a lot of people picked up on that as well. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just me saying that in that space. So um, that that was a bit disappointing from 7.30. In terms of my favourite tweet, I think um, the, best, the best one for me, and it was pinned to my profile for a very long time, was the infamous hot mic leak. Uh, this is where we, after yeah. a press conference where Dan Andrews was relentlessly grilled about deaths in aged care, mm. uh, you know, journos sort of started saying to each other afterwards how it was actually a federal scandal and it was amazing that, um, you know, that Dan Andrews was being sort of pinned down for it because it's actually more to do with Morrison and it was incredible how he was getting away with it because it was such a giant scandal. And it kind of, um, that video is really powerful to me because it shows that the people in the room are totally out of touch with the fact that it's them telling those stories. Yeah, they're uh, complicit in the lie themselves and yeah. yet they're abhorrent that, it's occurring, yet they're the ones that are doing the harm. And I, I think that sums up the problem in a nutshell quite cleanly. Watching that video gives you an understanding of, um, you know, where media was at during the height of the pandemic um, and how far it really needs to go to improve. It, it might make you guys, you know, angry and disappointed, but it fucking infuriates me as a journalist for people in my industry to be treating my industry that way and giving us all a bad name. It was just, yeah, uh, words, words cannot describe how frustrated and just how let down I was by my fellows mm. who who were just, yeah, not not being fair and you don't you don't work in radio people might not understand but working in radio you don't do it and in journalism as a whole you don't get paid a lot it's not um, a lot of people think that it's this big big paying role you do it for the passion more than anything and that's why I've been doing it for 16 years you do it because you love telling a story and you love educating people and, and getting it out there and then you've got people doing this kind of shit just mm. that 
that was one thing that really disheartened me from the whole COVID pandemic was the way that those press conferences were covered. And he was there every day. Like, it's not like they go, oh, we ran out of time and we couldn't cover this angle. He was there every single day fronting up to the media asking questions, but they just weren't asking the right questions. You're speaking of Dan Andrews um, fronting up to 120, oh, how many press conferences? Yeah, was it, was, it? it was over 100. Yeah, um, yeah just it was, it was tiring for... And, and these, uh, these people were given free access to the Premier every day. There's no... It's not like New South Wales where the Premier of New South Wales had a list and wouldn't let... I think um, Michael West actually got barred from attending as an independent journo. So it's interesting that the differences between Daniel Andrews accepting everyone, and he will stay at a press conference, and I can vouch for this, until there are no more questions... In fact, I, um, I'm i not sure if you know about our, our ute situation, Jeremy. I just managed to slide this into every every guest that we have. Um, Geelong, we're lobbying to have a, a ute on a pole. You're lobbying. <laughs> <laughs> we are. We are. Um, and uh, managed to ask Scott Morrison about the, the idea of having utes. How good are utes? And uh, spoke to Daniel Andrews as well and, and got him. So he, Daniel Andrews will stay at press conferences till the end till there are no more questions and wait for people to ask any further questions and then say okay yeah yeah time's here so to have journalists off off at the end of the press conference not aware that they're being recorded which in itself brings up a bit of a moral dilemma for me but You've got to imagine that all mics... It's a golden rule. All, all microphones all mics are, are always, on until proven guilty. Yeah, always, always on. So, yeah, that, that, that was a, a certain um, a pin tweet that, yeah, I think was probably one of my favourite ones of, of PR guys. Yeah, awesome. And I think, you know, uh, just going back what you said there about uh, Gladys as well, I, you know, it was strongly... There was a strong rumour going around that um, she did sort of have to approve anyone that attended those press conferences... Uh, and you could certainly see with your own eyes that they were shut down always pretty early uh, as soon as the questions got a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. Whereas, um, like you said, Dan would just sort of stay it out. And I think one of the things that the journalists really sort of got good at during those conferences was crafting their narrative through their questions, um, you know, presenting certain narratives by asking accusatory or incriminating questions. Yeah. Um, so that just the question itself would put, would cast that doubt. Um, and, and Dan Andrews was always really good at answering those questions. And I think people watching at home uh, became really kind of um, entranced by that process uh, and they could see it unfolding with their own eyes you know uh, i know it's been talked about a million times how the how the sausage is made but i think that's something that's stuck with people now and there is there has been a growing distrust in journalism that stemmed from that uh, and like you say it's you know it's got to be very painful for someone who's doing this um, out of the passion for it to see their peers uh you know represent the profession in that way but you were part of that, Jeremy. You were part of holding um, a candle, a light, to the fourth estate there by providing, as you said on the Friendly Geordies interview, um, an alternative, using their own tools against themselves when they performed in this manner and created a narrative, a false narrative sometimes, in those um, really contentious, highly viewed 
into um, press conferences during yeah. COVID, uh, you you are able to say. I'll, I'll let you answer the question, but you were able to do something um, and show them that they weren't behaving in the best interests of the people, which they are purported to share, uh, to work on our behalf. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I learned a lot from them. Um, I saw how they spoke. I saw how they presented news. Um, and I figured that um, speaking in their language was a way to get into the field or into the arena with them. Um, so that's what I did. I spoke through hysterics. I spoke through hyperbole, um, but I just presented a very different narrative, mm-hmm. uh, one that combated the narrative that they were putting across. Um, and, you know, I was always very comfortable with what I was putting out there because I knew it was based in truth. I knew it was, um, you know, uh, not not based on certain agendas that were trying to steer politics in a certain direction. Mm. It was really just about um, maintaining integrity in uh, what was out there. And I think that's what was really powerful and what drove your account through the roof was that, you echoed the logic and the truth that people saw. And when those press conferences were live streamed and everyone was watching it on their phone and they were sitting down at 10 o'clock every day for the dance, I would have, and I would be the first person to do this probably, and like not the first person to do this, they would have Twitter open with your account the the TV news um, that was live streaming the um, press conference and basically watch the fight ensue as the information was given. And that was powerful for you to be able to create that narrative and use facts that everyone understood logically and put it into such great words that that's why you generated thousands of likes and retweets on a daily basis for 125 days. Yeah, and look, you know, that ritual described is something that uh, I think most Victorians will understand, um, at least to the part we're having the the daily presser on because it really did stop the state uh, for that hour or so that, uh, you know, we were all kind of drawn in and, um, you know, looking for those key updates and things like that. And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, it was just frustrating because it felt like the media were just getting in the way of a lot of that information. So it was really just about trying to highlight that key information, highlight those key updates um, and sort of give, give some journos a bit of ribbing over, you know, the agendas they were trying to spin into it. Mm. Um, so what I think, you know, really helping... some bad questions that they just asked. Yeah. So, um, you know, some of my favourites. So yeah, I want like, to hear this. <laughs> um, you know, remember the what's the issue um, hashtag that was floating around there? Mm. Um because, you know, it just, it, I didn't start that hashtag. Um, I just joined in, but it was, it really highlighted, I think, the hysterics of some of the stuff that was being talked about. You know, um, you know, some of this incredible questions. Like, I think there was a question of like, if I'm walking alone through a forest at three o'clock in the morning, yeah, do, you know, do I have to wear a mask and, and right. things like that? And it was just, you know, common sense. My favourite reporter like, asked that question. It was that if I'm in the <laughs> middle of nowhere and I take my mask off when there's a mandatory mask rule out there, what's the point, you know? And the, the truth of the answer is, is that 
from a public health perspective, having a blanket rule is the way to ensure compliance so that we can have effective mask wearing at all places. It's not relevant whether you're in the middle of uh, nowhere and the risk of transmission is incredibly low, but it's about maintaining a significant public health message. And by simply asking that question in order to look for loopholes around a store, uh, around a public health rule, which is there to save lives, just shows the incredible inappropriateness of those individuals asking that line of questioning and not being on board to save lives in order to reduce the transmission of COVID-19. That's what really got me really upset. And there's thousands of questions in which individuals asked that. And said, are you on the same board in the lines of that? Like, I guess that you share that frustration to some extent. Absolutely. I, w- I would add to that, you know, it's Please. the simpleness of those messages that cuts through and makes them most effective. So if it's a simple, easy mandate to follow, you'll mm. get the most uh, understanding and, and easy compliance. But then what we saw with reporters was asking these incredibly complicated questions about these ridiculous scenarios, but they would actually then follow that up with, oh, these rules are so complicated, you know, the, the government's incompetent yeah. because it's such a complicated message, when it actually was a simple message to start with, it was just derailed yeah. by certain questions. Yeah, I, I always thought you don't have journalists at a, a police highway patrol saying, do I have to go the speed limit when no one else is around? <laughs> it's it's yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. I, Excellent analogy. It just baffles you that, yeah. that people look for loopholes mm. when, you know, it's a fucking mask. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. Uh, yeah. I wish he was a hit with uh, if if a, if a tree falls in the forest mm. doesn't make a sound. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the same. It's the same idea. But you know, it's like what you said, Louis. Wear a fucking mask. Like it's not going to kill you. But, like the 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 meltdowns over such a simple, easy thing to do has just been incredible to watch. The fact that people could take to the streets, uh, you know, in protest of having to wear a bloody mask. It's just come on, like grow up. Um, just on the the rituals of the press conference mm. and and casting our minds back to that time, are you behind the "What time is Dan" Twitter account? No, I'm not, uh, it, and it's way too politically neutral for me. Uh, if I was behind that account, we would all know who they vote for. So, do you have another burner account, Jeremy? Do you have an anonymous account? I do. I do have a non PR yes. guy Twitter account. <laughs> uh, it's got about 10 followers though so it's not on the same trajectory at all it's it kind of allows me to uh say things really unfiltered yeah so. hashtag unmask pr guys burner uh, uh, that's no. probably too long for a hashtag <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure people will try and figure out who it is now um but yeah it's uh it's it's a good way for me to vent without getting sued yeah i think oh jeremy well jeremy um some more, so just get turn a little bit serious. Um, as someone who's really famous on social media in Australia, um, have you received death threats or signs of violence through your DMs uh, during your time as a PR guy? Yeah, so since, uh, you know, uh, even far, as far back as 2020, uh, I was getting messages saying, you know, I'm, I'm zeroing, zeroing in on you, mm. I've figured out, you know, which suburb you're most likely in, I have a really good bearing on your age through your language, things like that. Uh, you know, when I find you, uh, I don't really want to don't go into too that. much specifics about what people would say, but yeah, some really violent stuff. It's not, it's not a huge barrage all the time, but there are certainly times when things are really heightened 
um, that you can expect to receive a lot more stuff like that. But I will say one thing, um, and that is there's been a noticeable drop-off actually since I've identified myself that was in that problem. kind. Yeah, uh, I think maybe perhaps people realise it is a real person on the other end um, and they do need to be a little bit more conscious of the fact that those are really serious message- messages um, and they and they can have very serious consequences. Yeah, one of the one of the stations I worked at regionally, um, one of the policies in dealing with stalkers or people who were sending threats online is to bring them in and sit down with the um, the on air personality and and have a chat with them. Obviously, with um, numbers in in the on air personality's favour and and you know a bit of background checking first. But as soon as people go, oh shit, this is a real a real human it just changes the the dynamic and and i think that also carries across all of that person's interactions from then on i think it's a, a really good lesson yeah i think that's a really good strategy and one thing that i would say as well is it's not just um, people like me that have been getting death threats we know that um controversial journalists as well get a barrage of abuse and stuff like that um, and that's something that I've, I've really tried to highlight back in those lockdown days was mm. you know even if you don't like them, even if you don't like the work they're doing, engage uh, in a meaningful way, in a respectful way. Don't call someone a bitch because you 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 know you don't agree with them. Mm. Actually, take them on on their views and have a conversation. I think when either side gets abusive or derogatory, you, it it brings the whole side down, um, and it's something that I'd really like to see improve on both sides. It's or not great. All it's sides. Not great for our democracy. I think either. the argument's lost once it turns to uh, to insults. Definitely. I guess the next question is: Congratulations on getting one hundred thousand followers, which you recently ticked Woo. over last weekend. I was watching intently. I missed. I missed it going over. But congratulations. Do um, you know? Do you know who one hundred thousand? <laughs> Is this is my radio brain? You know who's the first caller on the line, seventh caller through hundred thousandth follower. <laughs> so I, I actually wanted to keep an eye on that, um, and I did a post talking about how I was approaching the hundred thousand mark, and I thought that I would hit it the next day and I'd be able to see who it was. I checked back later that evening, and I was already at like a hundred one thousand, so I totally <laughs> missed it. And the only way I could find it out is if I count back, oh. you know, a thousand people, and I can't do that. Sorry for hijacking your question. I know. That's what I was just asking. Um, I guess, if you are the 100,000th, um, give me a shout out. I'll give you a plug. Uh, I guess one of, the, one of the last questions I want to ask you, Jeremy, is going forward now, what do you see your account doing? I know that prior, you were after the election, the federal election, you were saying, I'm going to hang around, you know, I was going to take some break and then mm. I was going to come out for the um, Victorian election. And then you were thinking, and then all this unmasking thing took off. What's what's the next six months look like? And then what after? It's a really good question. And I don't have a solid answer to it, to be honest with you. Um, what I expect to happen over the next six months is for, uh, you know, the Victorian election campaign to become quite hysterical and we'll probably see um, some surging voices from Twitter again during that time. To, so I really hope to be part of that. Um, beyond that, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, you know, it's it's really kind of forced me to think about this as well. So it's something I'm thinking a lot about. What next? What now? Um, how does this 
what is PR guy doing 2023? I, I really don't know at this stage. I want to ask about Arvi and his his legal battle. Uh, have you have you spoken with Arvi directly? Have you uh, had any interaction with him? Has he reached out? Has he DM'd you in any possible way? No, um, we haven't had any contact. Um, so really, what you see is what you get uh, when it kind of ex- when those exchanges happen back and forth on Twitter. Uh, you know, for a long time, I did have Avi's account blocked and, and that was really just because, um, you know, early on, I think I saw it and just went, oh, I don't want to see this in my feed. It wasn't anything too personal or anything like that. Um, but yeah, no, certainly no, no, neither side has reached out to try and engage. Which is really interesting because you'd think the first, I'm no lawyer or, or legal kind of person, but the first steps mediation, I would have thought before you start progressing to uh, legal action, that costs a lot of money. Like, let's be real here. Arvi has forked, well, Arvi has forked out, whether it's his money or money from his... Um, money has been expended. Yeah, money. he has spent money on following this court proceeding to unmask you as as he said um he didn't achieve that goal you've you've done it yourself what's what do you think is next for Arvi? i'm not exactly sure so i think a lot of what was driving him and motivating him was the thought that this would be a very large scandal for dan andrews um you know he'd said a few times that um it was impossible to link me to dan andrews until he got the courts involved so I think, um, you know, he's been quite open about the fact that really his main goal is to unmask me. I don't know what his next plans are. I, I think that he um, has indicated that he may not believe I am who I say I am. So he may want to go further to, um, you know, uh, get uh, details from Telstra, things like that. Um, and certainly that's up to him if, if that's what he wishes to do. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, all that's going to do is prove that I am who I say I am and that I have been the whole time from day one. Yeah, it's the the tactic now for Arvi, um, if you're not across the whole thing, Arvi from Rebel News, his, his logic from what I've gathered is either Jeremy is a fall guy for PR guy or Jeremy does have a link to the Labor Party there's just no acceptance that, you know, maybe Jeremy's Jeremy and there's no link there. Like, there's no middle ground. It's either one, one yeah, it's just a, an odd situation where he's, 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 he's painted himself into the corner and, yeah, he's left a little, a little red-faced. I think he's, um, he's, believed this um, for quite some time and he's put himself out there. Like you said, he's painted that himself into that corner uh, and he may be under pr- pressure now to deliver. I think, you know, he has gone on Sky News. He has floated these theories out there pretty widely. Uh, he has created an appetite, I think, to link me to Dan uh, in a lot of people's eyes uh, and he can't deliver on that. So it is a good question of what next. Um, I really don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I can never be linked to Dan. I, you know, I wish I could because I'd love to meet him. But um, so you, you haven't met, yeah. you haven't spoken with Dan. You haven't met him before. No, I've never met Dan Andrews. I've never spoken to Dan Andrews. Um, but Dan, if you're listening, I'm a major fan, as yeah. I'm sure you already know. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> and you know, maybe one day in the future, if we ever bump into each other in a coffee shop, I can grab a selfie. Uh, maybe we can organise that in a little while. I I don't lay 
100% of the blame on Avi, to be fair to him and from a journalistic point of view, if in a, in a hypothetical situation, if I had a scoop where I thought a prolific anonymous social media person had links to a state premier and that could cause a scandal... I would go to that's my a story. That's a story. I would go to my boss and say, "Hey, boss, here's this." The first thing my boss would say, "Have you got evidence? A source? <laughs> ideally, ideally three. You want three sources generally for a, for a story. But you know, you can you can start fishing if you've got one source." And my boss would be in the loop with everything that I go, especially with such a high profile, and even with you know less local local stories that are, are breaking. <laughs> My boss is across everything, and if he finds something that goes, uh, I, I think you're chasing a dead end there, he'll pull a story and he'll say, come on, focus your time on another story that's more important to the public. So there's a boss somewhere that – because Avi doesn't run – Isn't he – he's the chief reporter of Rebel Isn't doesn't he? It's a Can- I think it's a Canadian oh. thing. I don't know. There, yeah. There's someone above Avi ah. who really should have pulled him into line. Interesting. In, in my, if I were to be a, yeah. a, a news director or a news boss, there's someone who should have pulled him into line by now. Yeah, look, I, I, I certainly don't blame Avi for pursuing that line of inquiry. And I think, it, um, you know, in an open democracy, you do want to pursue those lines. You do want to get answers to things like that. But like you said, I think the sequence of events was wrong. I think he told the story before he got the evidence um, and it really should have been the other way around. There were ways that he could, um, you know, pursue this like like the way that he's done it, but he he didn't have to uh, go through the promotion of that narrative until he had some answers, and I think that's what went wrong. I think some of the other issues is understanding the um, financial benefit that Avi benefits from by pursuing this line of questioning, and I think that cannot go understated when talking about this issue. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's certain media outlets that run on on clicks that get that generate money for the amount of clicks that they get on their thing. And I'll I'll be upfront here and say my role in delivering news to Greater Geelong via the radio, I don't get paid any extra or I don't have my salary docked depending on whether I break a story that has a million views or if I just do my regular uh, pothole hasn't been filled in by Geelong Those City Council. There, there's no, um, there's no financial, financial benefit. benefit for me to chase after clickbait stories. And when you start having media organisations who are earning money, earning dollars... Based on ad revenue on clicks and interaction it, with the page. Yeah. It starts to make this whole thing a little murky. And uh, when you've got Patreons for Legal news ones. outlets and uh, things like that, it's it's just this, yeah, this whole murky thing where uh, Arvi's desperate for there to be a link. And what, what's the saying? If you, if you look hard enough... For something you'll f- no what I can't even think of it. If you look hard enough for something, you'll draw your own conclusion. Like you, you, you'll make that link yourself. Yeah. But if it's not there, then you're stuffed. And I, I think there's also another risk as well that if you pursue something that isn't there for so long, you run the risk of going totally insane. Um, and you know, I'm certainly not commenting on that with respect to this current sequence of events, but he certainly sold that story, um, and now he's trying to prove it. 
and he can't and um and and i think um yeah i i guess we'll see how that all pans out in the future one of Avi's uh, points recently he's made is that you're not on Google or, or you can't Google. For a journalist to be relying on Google to to track down as a source, that's a, a bit of an indicator that you're clutching at straws. But, I mean, hey, Jeremy, why aren't you on Google? Yeah, good question. So, um, obviously, since running the PR Guy account, I know that sooner or later, um, you know, I'm going to be exposed as the person behind it. Um, so one of the things that I've done in the lead up over the years is, um, you know, be really careful on social media. Um, if, if I feel like having a social media presence is a risk, I'll delete it. Um, you know, so it's not, I, I've seen comments that I've hired teams of experts to cleanse my Google footprint. Uh, that's certainly not what, not what's, uh, sorry, what not happened at all. I can't talk at the moment. Um, but yeah, just being careful with things like, um, you know, the Facebook, the LinkedIn, things like that, uh, just to, to kind of try to maintain some privacy. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I think if you Google my name, you can see like a, an old ABN that I used to have. Um, so it's not like I don't exist. Um, uh, and look, I, I Googled my mum. I'm like, oh, has my mum got, uh, you know, and there's not much on there really from her. Like it is possible to live a life without a social footprint. I think it's it's not as common anymore, um, but it's certainly doable. So you know, it's it's yeah. So it it is reasonable to ask why, but the answer that PR guy is someone who values his anonymous background is a reasonable answer. Yeah, and I, if I was in journalism or if I was, uh, you know, a, a commentator in my own right rather than under a pseudonymous account, um, then absolutely I'd, I'd be totally fine with all of that. But there is a huge degree of distinction between what I do on Twitter and what happens in the rest of my life. Um, and I, it may be, um, you know, efforts in vain for me to try and keep that separate, but, you know, I, I try if I can. I really appreciate your openness in in, in coming on the show and um, answering every question. Like I, I did put out uh, the, if you don't like any questions, feel free to, to let us know and we'll, we'll chop it out. But to your credit, you've answered everything that we've we've asked. You've been think- a, yeah, you've been a great guest, Jeremy. And, you know, once again, I'm going to reiterate an inspiration to myself to find my own political voice and to speak up and, and um, say what I want to say. Um, and I'm sure you've inspired lots of other people as part of your 100,000 followers. Um, I want one last question before you do. Is there someone on Twitter that you really are inspired by or who follows you or when they followed you, you're like, wow, something about that? It's it's not celebrities. Um, it's people like yourself without trying to sound like too much oh, of a kiss ass. Um, people like, you know, when I get feedback, particularly from medical professionals, um, throughout the height of the lockdowns, things like that, thanking me for advocating for medical, uh, you know, narratives and things like that. That meant a lot to me because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical expert, uh, but I certainly understood the value of understanding health narratives during those lockdowns. And I think a lot of Victorians did as well. Um, And a a lot of the other um, comments that I get from people is, you know, thank you. It helped me feel like I wasn't a lone voice in this. Uh, it, it made me feel like there was a community in Victoria that really wanted to do the right thing. 
Um, and so I guess the real inspiration that I get from people off Twitter is the people on the front line, the people living through it, the people experiencing this firsthand who this all meant a lot to. So it was really, really, um, wonderful for me to play a role in that really, um, happy to be part of it. I think that's a really sweet note to end the the checks in the mail. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You close the show. I can't, I can't do it. I've got to, I've got to be shucks now. I really do appreciate your, your openness and your, um, uh, candidness to, to come on a a show where you don't know my, you have, have spoken with Dan before, but we haven't spoken before and you've, you've shown a real, um, and enthusiasm to to answer every question and reveal yourself uh, to uh, to to my my satisfaction i i don't feel that there's any doubt in um who who jeremy is anymore yeah, I, no. you know I'll, I'll be honest there there has been sus, um, yeah yeah i was i was sus i'm like surely there's not one guy behind this but when you start to think about it really logically and you you tune out the bullshit you go objective evidence yeah, we've seen I mean, objective evidence we've seen his passport we it matches everything we're happy we're satisfied the other thing jeremy's open invite to come back on the podcast at any stage to have a chat we might invite you on again just prior to the victorian election if you'd want thank you guys yeah i'd love to be a part of it um it's been a huge honor to to come and chat with you guys today um so you know as you know i, I don't have media training or, or background or anything like that but i do feel like because the accounts become so high profile that people do deserve answers, um, you know, that there should be some transparency there. Um, and I just have one more thing as well, oh, um, you know, around the rumors that I was a dance staffer and things like that. Yeah, of course. I really, I really kind of thought a lot of that was funny, but as the account became more prominent, I think some of that, que- those questions were fair. I think there was, um, you know, credible journalists going, hang on, is there, what if there is a link here that would be a concern? Um, so I'm glad that I've been able to address that. I'm glad that I've been able to be a bit of an open book in that respect and say, you know, there's nothing untoward going on here. Uh, it really is just some guy. <laughs> well, some guy, I think we want to close the show there. Do you oh, want politi- to... Political lines. Oh, political lines, yeah. 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 So we're running... Um, I'll just very quickly play back. Here's some of uh, our favourite political lines that we've heard so far, and we just want to get your take, so... Um, because I want to do you slowly. I want to do you slowly. If you are seeing me now, it means I have been murdered. I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. There's fucking language. Are you xenophobic? Please explain. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. <laughs> no one is the suppository of all wisdom. How good are you? Is there a favourite political line of yours, Jeremy, that you've, you've heard over, over the years? What would be your one favourite? Favorite? Look, I think it comes down to uh, keeping... Doing, the, doing his opposition slowly um, and Pauline Hanson, uh, you know, uh, speaking about a potential murder. Yeah. Uh, 
those are brilliant. Um, but I have to say, because I know this isn't video, people can't see it, but I have to give credit there to Dr. Dan, who uh, knew the lines to all of those and was mouthing them out <laughs> as we were listening. Um, but yeah, it just that, that clip just reminds me of how many incredibly brilliant moments there have been in Australian politics. Mm. Um, and I think the one thing missing from that montage is a bit of Daniel Andrews. Yeah, a bit of something from the top shelf. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's a good one. At the one. end of it all. We'll add that to the list. Fantastic. Yep. Perfect. Uh, again, thank you for your time, Jeremy. Uh, greatly appreciate it. time we've tried to close the yeah, show. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. I think we've run a little over time with, uh, with the podcast, but I think duly so. I think um, yeah. it's, it's certainly something, a story that needs to be told. Thanks, Louis. Thanks, Dr. Dan. No it's way. been an incredible pleasure to be part of it. He doesn't work for Daniel Andrews. He's just a guy.